please pronounce your name correctly for me. Uh, my name is Ahmed Umar. Now you have a fascinating background and story. So like, so how did you end up coming to the creative arts in the first place? All the way back to your childhood, because your journey is interesting. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, I think uh, it applies to me to say that um, I was born an artist or... Um, yeah, uh, isn't it Picasso or something? Or maybe it's a lie that uh, everyone is born an artist. And um, it's been said. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with it. I have known incredibly uncreative people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think, as far as I remember, I have been very interested in expressing myself uh, through uh, art. Um, I drew a lot as a child, as a very little um, introvert. Uh, not so very social kid. I use drawing a lot as a method to um, to keep me company and uh, also express my feelings, impress my family. Um, yeah. So I think as as far back as I remember, uh, I was interested in yeah showing my feelings through other things, but speaking. All right. Now, where was this though? Uh, in Saudi Arabia. I grew up in uh, Mecca, <laughs> not that very far from uh, the Holy Mosque. Uh, my father was uh, very uh, conservative, and um, he thought that um, it would be good to move the whole family to Mecca. And uh, <laughs> who thinks that's good? Well, uh, yeah. Sorry, he... that's coming from my horrible Western perspective. <laughs> yeah. I know that because there are lots of people who think that's good. I mean, he had he he devoted his life uh, more or less to 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 praying, and um, he wanted to be um, as close as possible to the Holy Mosque. And um, he his ultimate wish was to be buried uh, in the within the limits of uh, or the borders of the holy city um, but he made it and he died there but um, he was not allowed to be buried because he was not Saudi I'm not surprised by that a bit yeah um, I was in the UAE for six years and like yep not surprised mm, I mean not that they're the same but, um, but the, there's similarities let's say yeah 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 definitely Okay, so you, you went from Saudi Arabia, and then uh, you are currently in Oslo, Norway. So how did that transition happen? Yeah, uh, it's a long way, right? Yeah, uh, well, it's a, it's a <laughs> random, like, you know, Saudi Arabia, Oslo, Norway. Yeah. Like, well, um, I decided uh, to move from Sudan, uh, which we moved to afterwards when I got a little bit older. I did not feel that these um, two places would be a home for me. I saw every sign that makes me very suspicious that my existence in these two countries uh, would be um, an unhappy and very unwelcomed existence. I knew as well from a very young age, but I did not have a, defi a definition by the time, uh, that I am gay. And um, uh, for my lack of fortune uh, the two countries I lived in has death penalty for uh, homosexuality so um, good reason to leave yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, I had um, felt that I'm I'm not gonna live very long because I did not see any kind of uh, life like mine that I could identify with or relate to I am gay and I want to be an artist in a society that does not appreciate uh, art in the way that we appreciate it here in the West because um, I come from a poor country that where people have the priority of um, having bread on the table. Just to be clear, the poor country was not Saudi Arabia. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I... Um, saw that I literally have no chance to live there. I have no life um, as an artist, uh, as a queer person. 
as uh, someone who loved to be free, as also someone who is um, an atheist. So um, I'm so bad. Okay, help me out. Atheist versus agnostic. What, what's the what is atheist? Atheist is when you just don't believe in any power uh, or divine power. Agnosticism, as a, as far as I know it, is that like you know that there is a a god or a higher power a higher power somewhere right. but maybe you don't identify it as the god of uh, is, uh, islam or uh, christianity the god of thunder yeah the yeah. angry one and um, the one who tortures well the druids or you know pagans or whatever so okay so atheist means no belief in higher power agnostic yeah. is belief in a higher power though not necessarily any particular religion yeah yeah i mean i I just saw that there is no point to um, to rely on someone else's power. I think um, I have this idea of that I'm. If we look inwards, then we have the power to to face life uh, without the the divine. I tried that myself because I I used to rely a lot. Uh, on um, Allah in doing a lot of things and then I have when I arrived here to Norway and I had the chance to um, be the person who I wanted to be and also think that um, I, I literally did a test with with myself where I thought that I will not say inshallah inshallah means like um if Allah willed, um, I just have to work hard and see if my dreams will uh, come true. And uh, it did happen. I know. When I was in the UAE, my students would always say, Inshallah, yeah. when I would be like, So you have a test tomorrow. Don't forget. And they're like, Oh, Inshallah. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> you actually have a test tomorrow. <laughs> It's not a God willing. It's the test will really be there. Exactly. I mean, it's also become an expression that means that you are not intending to do this uh, thing that you're supposed to do. And that's what they were really trying to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> which I was not tolerant of. No. Which is probably why I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's so many reasons why I'm not there anymore. I mean, the racism, the sexism, the like oh, the, the racism. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then of course homophobia and like yeah. blah blah the 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 class system, the slavery. Like, I mean, my God. It's so many. I I, I mean, when I look back to my time in Saudi Arabia, I'd really think that how did I navigate through that, through the amount of racism that, I mean, the word slave is easier to say than hi my nationality sudani it become an insult like people would insult me and say you go you sudani and i'm like um yeah uh, it's, it's it's really it's it's really uh, crazy it's still very tribal region like that's something that I picked up on that there's sort of I mean don't get me wrong we have our equivalent of tribes in in our own cultures in the in the yeah, west as yeah, well but yeah. but there it's still literally tribes like it's family relations tribes kind of a thing and that whole like even just being from another place makes you an outsider regardless like you yeah, will never yeah. be accepted I mean uh, even if it's um, a different tribe uh, I saw it like uh, between the tribes in, 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 in Saudi Arabia that you're from this tribe, you're less worthy, you're from this tribe, you're dumb, you're from this tribe and like you were whatever description they put for this tribe. Uh, so uh, Sudanese uh, was not um, a good thing to be. Uh, we have like uh, a stereotype of being... Um, like stubborn, uh, very temperamental, and also um, uh, lazy. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and being lazy from a country where neither its youth or um, its elders work. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I'm talking about Saudi Arabia 20 years ago uh, or 25 years ago. That's how I experienced it. I sense that there is a change right now, but I don't know whether uh, there is a change that can uh, make me feel welcome there. I doubt that highly within our lifetime, but that's my personal opinion. Because, mm, yeah. I, mean, I mean, what you're talking about is the reason why you're not really welcome there, that death sentence thing, that's Sharia law. That's not yeah. country law. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sharia law, as horrible as it sounds, it's a very, um, I would say it's a very lame law. Uh, it's, it's not that uh, easy to prove. Uh, I mean, for sodomy, the proof is that four wise men would see uh, penetration what is the the odds that four wise men would see you having sexual relationship with someone? Uh, and these wise men, they have to be um, interrogated uh, separately. And if if their witness has been a little bit different from the other, uh, the four of them will be uh, whipped. Yeah, and and it's so funny. Like when I was living in the UAE, my wife and I used to vacation in other Muslim countries, and like I'm just not accustomed to living in countries where there's what I guess basically a corporal punishment, basically you know phys yeah. physical yeah. harm potential because of laws, and I'm just like I don't want to. You know, I'm I do so many stupid, inappropriate things. I'm an American tourist, <laughs> so like I do lots of stupid, inappropriate things, and I, I'm always afraid I'm going to break some law that yeah. I was completely unaware of because like it's not like they give us, uh, you know, the law books when we go into any given country, and like, yeah, I mean the amount, I mean the amount of laws I have broken in foreign countries makes me very concerned yeah. that it's like <laughs> if I do go back to any more Muslim countries, I'm going to be flogged. Saudi Arabia is particularly uh, strict when it comes to that. I mean, I think that uh, when I went to Sudan, I uh, thought like, yeah, freedom. Right. Yeah. Things I mean, are all relative uh, in that case. Uh, yes. But Sudan was, was very much um, uh, free or freer than uh, my uh, experience in Saudi Arabia because, um, yeah, I was... A majority and a powerful majority there and uh, also I think Sudan struggles with uh, this identity crisis that we don't know that whether we are Arabs or Africans uh, we are like we are not Arabs but we speak Arabic we were colonized by Arabs back in the past and um, there was this movement by the past regime uh, of al-Bashir that ruled for 30 years that pu pushed very much the agenda of that we are Arabs and we have to distance ourselves from uh, our tribal um, cultures and, 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 and so. Um, so now you have this um, mutant Sudanese who doesn't know uh, whether we are uh, Arabs or African. And, well, uh, those don't seem contradictory necessarily. Like, it, okay, keep in mind, American, poorly educated about the world. So mm. the African to me is about a geography, a tribe, a, a heritage. Mm. Being Arabic or Muslim, really, mm. it is a religion. Like, those are, the, you could be both equally. Not when you have such a powerful and present heritage we uh, okay. have uh, 580 something tribes in Sudan and you cannot rule that mass of uh, cultures with just one culture that wants to eliminate the others oh okay so yeah. elimination and sort of genocide is the sort of yeah, yeah it's potential. basically genocide of cultures like potential I'm not saying it happened yeah. but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it could happen yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's try and uh, switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. So how did you then get to Oslo? I mean, you literally, you're sitting in the Sudan and you're like, I want to go to art school. I want to be free. Mm. And I could literally go anywhere in the world. Mm. What made you choose Oslo? 
It was very um, much by chance. I did not know anything about Norway, but uh, that it's a safe country for uh, LGBTQ plus people. And also uh, that as an artist, I can live, yeah, a relatively safe life. Um, and that also, also that the, the capital is Oslo and there is a, a peace treaty that happened between uh, Palestine and uh, Israel uh, back in the 90s, like the Oslo Treaty. So this is the only thing that I knew about it. So when, when, the, when the time came and uh, my um, being in Sudan was uh, impossible, I had no choice. Like when Oslo was suggested to me or Norway was suggest suggested, like I was like, okay, yeah, Norway, Norway. I didn't know even that it was cold. I was going to say there's like just temperature range. You're going yeah. from like some of the hottest countries in the world to some one of the coldest countries in the world. It is. I And I came here, it was in summer and it was so beautiful. And then winter came. Yeah. And, and it's it so was, dark. And I was living by the time in uh, the north of Norway where um, the sun does not sit and does not shine in winter. So uh, it was exotic, I must say. It was very, very um, interesting to see snow. I was eating a lot of snow when I first saw it. And I um, also has uh, beautiful experiences like uh, seeing the northern light and whales in the fjords and so on. The, the place was beautiful. But it was, yeah, coming from a city uh, of 2 million inhabitants to a village of 2,700 inhabitants. And where was this? Yeah. Uh, it was in the north. Um, so Tromsø? Uh, near Hashta. Okay. Like, um, Tromsø yeah, and Bergen is pretty like much all I know. Three hours, I think, by car from Tromsø. Okay. Those are the only two I know. Hmm? Those are the only two cities I know. I, uh, <laughs> At least up that yeah. far north. Yeah, Tromsø, Norwegians call it the Paris of the North. Everybody calls some city the Paris of the whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I haven't been there, so I make no attestment to that, that claim, no. but... Eh. I can assure you that it's not anything okay. close to Paris. I'm sorry, Norwegians. So... so. Then you decided, so you left, I assume, then that northern area to go to art school. So where, so was the art school then in Oslo? Yeah, I, um, after 11 months, uh, after submitting my uh, asylum application, I was granted an asylum. Oh, so you're here as, an, as on asylum? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I uh, moved to the southern part in a city called Larvik and I did my um, secondary school exam in Norwegian uh, to qualify to enter the university and um, yeah I three years after my uh, arrival to Norway I was already accepted in the National Academy of the Arts of Oslo very nice okay and so you graduated in I think I saw 20, 2011, is that right? I started school in 2011 and uh, finished with a master's degree in 2016. Okay, so you're still, like, in comparison to me, let's say, kind of young to the industry. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. I'd like to think that. I love it. Um, <laughs> because a lot of the reason for the podcast is because, well, I mean, to be blunt about it, I feel like I'm out of touch. And mm. so, like, connecting with people who are younger and maybe a little bit more energized and sort of in the beginning of their careers is very refreshing sometimes to, like, be like, oh, that's right. I totally forgot that, like, you could do that. Because, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, time. <laughs> uh, am I starting to feel that I'm very much in your league right now, in the older generation? You're, the do you're now the older that. generation? I feel that. <laughs> I mean, my body is not the same as before. Like, I'm, I'm 34 right now. I'm 48. Oh, you're ancient. Man. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm feeling over the hill. Well, I am no, technically over the hill. But, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm looking for a resurgence. I'm thinking my 50s will be like a great resurgence for me. <laughs> so I'm just doing preparatory work at this point. Yeah. All right. So, but now looking at your work, you do prints, sculptures, performance, painting. So like, how did that come about? Like, how did you end up going, you know what? Multidisciplinary. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. From from um, my time before starting school, I was very much uh, interested in drawing, um, as it's the most affordable and accessible uh, art form for me. And uh, when I started at the academy on, in Oslo, I saw this uh, possibility of uh, just basically do whatever you would like to do. And I'm used to rigid systems where you have to do to decide for something, you don't and then say, yeah, <laughs> Saudi Arabia rigid systems. No. no. <laughs> so uh, I'm used to like um, uh, just focus in one thing, and um, the freedom at the beginning was was very much like. Um, a scary uh, thought like that I have complete freedom to do whatever I want to do and um, uh, I have also facilities because the Academy in Oslo has crazy facilities and seeing all that uh, with a very competent staff just willing to to help you um, it f at first I was like um, uh, crippled by this feeling uh, of that, um, um, yeah, just n not being used to 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 be free. Uh, but then I, um, I'm also um, a kind of person who gets very bored uh, very quickly uh, with a technique or something. So I, I just like uh, I spent my first semester in the printmaking department, which was I. Initially, where I was accepted when I entered the school, and then never went back for the the rest of the five years. Uh, so I did courses in uh, jewelry making and metal uh, design, and also textile art. I did also some photography, and I even had courses in fashion design, and. Um, Still, and, and, and until today, I don't consider myself an expert in something, uh, but um, I have some experience in different uh, art forms. Ceramics was uh, the, the closest to my heart uh, at the time of my graduation. So my graduation from the master's uh, degree was uh, with, uh, from the ceramic department. But after my graduation, it became a little bit more expensive um, for the scales that I work with. I do large And without sculptures. the resources of the school. Yeah. Uh, so it was a little bit hard to do ceramics. So I had to do other techniques that can uh, fulfill my uh, desire of making um, uh, big installations uh, in my kitchen table. Well, you know what a lot, of, a lot of people do after graduation? A lot of people will go back and just take a class at a university just to have mm -hmm. the access to the resources. Yeah, so, yeah. So just take the cheapest, stupidest class you can afford, you get into and just basically be enrolled so that you then have access. I think I, I'm, I'm considering starting my PhD so I can have <laughs> my, my uh, good days in, in the academy in, in Oslo. But also, like the the academy is very open um, to having uh, guest artists. Uh, you can apply for a residency, and um, yeah, you might have a chance to stay there for like a couple of months or something. Well, we in the in the academic side, as a professor from my side, we've had this discussion as you know, as universities, as colleges, to talk about like whether it's beneficial. And please don't take offense to the way mm. I'm going to phrase this, but like whether it's beneficial to train young artists to be what we call like generalist versus specialists. 
So like traditionally, you know, we're talking hundreds of years ago, traditionally it was like you take an apprenticeship under a paint, a particular painter and then you follow in their lineage, you know, apprentice mentor kind of relationship. These days it's, it's a lot more of we teach you everything and then sort of just push you out the door and you get to figure out what, what it is you want to do after yeah. graduation. And it's a, it's a longstanding debate on whether or not, which one of those is better or worse. I mean, it's not to say, don't get me wrong, we're not going to go back to the mentor-apprentice relationship mm-hmm. thing, but having a, a, a discipline to, to, to sort of become masterful in, in your mm-hmm. undergraduate education, which some ways, you know, like I did, let's see, what did I do? I did not do that. I got a BA, so a general education, Bachelor of Arts, and then when I went to apply for a master's program, they were like, you're all over the map. Your portfolio is not good yeah. enough. So I had to go back and actually take another two years of school and get a BFA in mm-hmm. photography. Then I was able to take that portfolio and get into a master's program. Right. So that, so I'm sort of of the side of like, if you want to go down that path, you kind of need to be specialized. I see your point, And I also experienced that in... Um, defining myself uh, when it comes for instance to um, applying for grants uh, am I a, a fine artist or like um, artist who do, does fine art or a we say Norwegian billet kunstner and kunstnotverker which means um, uh, fine art artist and uh, craft artist I have noticed that delineation. What, yeah. What's the tangible delineation, though? So, like, a fine art artist would be exhibited, sold in institutions and galleries. A craft artist would be what? More utilitarian, both. functional? They, they both uh, have the same... Um, uh, ga- we, we show in the same galleries. But the type of uh, study is different. Uh, we are more focused in... That's as far as I I see it. Like we're more focused in uh, skills and uh, um, techniques, and the fine art artists are uh, more about concept and uh, literature of art. So it it has been a little bit um, difficult for me to to figure out uh, or to write that I am um, a fine art artist or a craft artist. Um, but well, cause, I because some of it you use craft mediums, mm-hmm. you know, pottery, ceramics, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you seem to be doing it in a more conceptual manner. So yeah, that's that. That's the the uh, point of confusion uh, for me and for uh, the grants applications. Oh, we all do it. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a photographer technically. But I don't use, I don't, I don't even own a camera anymore, mm. but I still use photography. So I'm a photographer who uses photography, but I also use paints and other sort of materials, yeah. printmaking, whatever, you know, like um, encaustic wax, I mean, like whatever. And so it's it, the, one of the hardest things that I find right now is that when it comes to specifically like, so let's go down to like grant and residency and those kinds of sort of application based things, even competitions, whatever. There are too many of them that are very specific, like they have mm-hmm. a very specific topic, very specific mediums, et cetera, et cetera, that they want people to apply with. But I feel like there are more and more artists these days that are, uh, are varying in mediums. And so like those grants, residencies, and other sort of competition application form-based things are not keeping up with the fact that artists mm-hmm. aren't single medium yeah. people anymore. I think for uh, personally for me, um, I I'm still in in search of new techniques and new mediums to to do my art, and I always I yeah I find I find all uh, the materials and mediums are just the way of uh, delivering what I think of in a more sensible uh, manner, uh, a way that gives me. Um, uh, yeah, this quality of uh, feeling that I presented my thought in 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 a way that is understandable, and also um, how materials uh, can affect 
the the presentation of my uh, of my idea. So um, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow after tomorrow, I'd find something uh, new uh, for a new idea. I'm all about that. I mean, my master's degree actually was in what they called new genre arts, mm. which I really loved. It sounds so pompous. Yes. Like, I love it. Everything with French. I know, uh, it doesn't. It, even yeah. is spelled G-E-N-R-E. -G yeah. Even genre. in America, it was spelled that way. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> but the, but the, the best part of that education was is that it, it was pretty much what you're talking about, which is you come up with an idea and then you use whatever medium is necessary to express the idea. Mm -hmm. Now, I found that to be a magnificent education later. So like, I feel like a lot of younger artists are sort of in that multimedia interdisciplinary in their bachelor's degrees. Mm -hmm. I didn't come to that sort of new genre technique until my master's degree. And so like I had this nice foundation of all these different techniques. I sort of tried out all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. and I had a, a you know working knowledge of lots of different mediums and techniques. And then I came to like investigating conceptual work later in my education. Right. Yeah. And I personally find that very found that very beneficial for me. I I, I can agree in that as well because let, let's say for for instance the the Academy of the Art in Al Khartoum in Sudan. Um, I'm there nodding. Is one. I'm nodding. There is like one I there. About this school, it's, yes. it's very vocational right now, but the they would give you a year where you are obligated to try in each and every department uh you get some courses there and the rest of the education is um you choose where you want to uh, specialize um yeah it's a very traditional um way but i i find it very very good but also I mean, nowadays it's. it's um, I feel there is um, uh, this sense of liberation and letting everyone do whatever they want to do, and so um, I also see the quality in that. That maybe there is um, uh, some artists who would like to stay um, undecided uh, about their uh, techniques, but I don't know. Well, see, and my perspective on that is like, I think, I feel like sometimes that's setting up for a bit of difficulty because again, going back to grants, residencies, all these kinds, basically the, the institutional structure behind the arts industry is very rigid, slow to change and very like they, they want painters to be supported by the painting association kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And yeah. so like, if you do painting, but only for that one project, but then you do performance and, and you know, ceramics and printmaking and everything else, you don't fit them, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so like the arts industry, whether it's sales or exhibitions or grants or residencies, they want to put us into boxes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we as creative people want not to be put into boxes. Yeah. 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 So it's a very difficult sort of balance because we have to play the games of the industry. Mm -hmm. But the, it's the, the literally the contradiction to what we desire in our lives. Yeah, unfortunately, it's very much that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Agreed. Yeah. Marvelous. So, <laughs> going coming to Oslo though. So, like, I know almost nothing about the Oslo art scene. Mm -hmm. So, give me a, like a, your opinion or your experiences on the scene here. I think I'm. The worst one to ask, to be asked about that because I have not been very much engaged in the scene. Uh, honestly, I have um, been focusing on working. I as we all should be doing. Yeah, I have this anxiety from 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 the time I was at school because I have no any um, I have no support here. If I fall. Uh, I have no family to support me. I have no partners uh, until today, and and so, so I. What I, happened today? You had a partner. You suddenly uh, got a partner. Today? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm translated from Arabic sometimes. Okay. Okay. So at, uh, at, as of today, as of today, yes, have no partners. Thank okay. you. So um, I was very much um, focusing in in working and. Um, be present 
uh, and um, yeah, so I was not very much in, um, in invested in getting very much in, 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 in the scene. And uh, luckily, most of my connections uh, with galleries and, and museums and so they come to my studio. Uh, so I'm, yeah. Uh, but if I would say a general thing, uh, I think there is a lot of um, activity and uh, powerful artists who, who come from, from this uh, city or from this country. Okay, and that, that's do a very you, general thing. It is yeah. very broad. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. skip over that. Yeah, it was just sort of like being publicly like PC, just like yeah, it's very <laughs> yeah, very strong community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, but so the, the are you able to like you know for lack of a better word like make a living like so like you say you have a studio so mm. like so it, it just as a you know technical question is the studio separate from your home. It is. Okay. So, you, and this is in Oslo proper. It is in Oslo in like three minutes uh, walking uh, distance from my apartment. Yeah, that's super convenient. So, the, the, the thing I wonder about is because Oslo is a reasonably expensive city. So, it's like, can artists, more for lack of a word, sort of support themselves, you know, make a living here? I think we can. Um, I was very... Um, uh, lucky and I also worked hard uh, in order to deserve uh, the grants I get uh, so I was uh, the first year after graduation was the hardest because yeah I also during my studies I from the day I started uh, at the academy uh, I decided that I will not work with anything that is not related to art so um, I don't want to work in a shop and not, there is, not that there is a problem with that, but I want to do only uh, a thing that I have invested my time and some years uh, of my life to, to do uh, or to study. Uh, so when I finished the art school and um, I saw that everyone was um, going back to their families and uh, and they have you know I mean being born in in Norway or like uh, having a family in or a bigger a big network in Norway is not like when you come alone and uh, uh, so that support system was completely not not existent for me uh, so I was panicking a lot that um I'm not going to make it and uh, I did not get um, a full year grant I got just um, like uh, an amount of like maybe ten thousand dollars or something and what ten thousand dollar can do uh, f for an artist for a whole year uh, so I was living very minimal um, just food and uh, supplies and um, but the year after I got my uh, first grant, actually, two days after I I called to uh, to pull off my um, membership from the uh, art and craft uh, or, or craft artists association because I couldn't pay the um, the membership. Uh, so I got my first grant, and from there it kind of uh, started to um, to 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 be more stable. And um, until today, five years after, I did not work with anything that has uh, not to do with art. Okay, I'm so envious of this situation because like this kind of thing just doesn't happen in America. Yeah, like the, yeah. The, the, this sort of social—I think they call it—social democratic support for the arts is amazing yeah like, it is it is i mean that when you know that your your uh rent is going to be paid and you're not gonna starve and you're gonna have some extra to to buy some supplies for to do some more art and also i got uh i think i'm also quite lucky with 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 the uh type of uh exhibitions and the type of institutions that i i got uh in touch with so um 
most of my grant applications were accepted and I got some fundings to do uh, big projects and so so it's um, it has been quite okay for me <laughs> yeah I mean there's so many questions about that but okay so the, the I guess one of the questions I would have and please again don't take offense to mm -hmm. this because I like playing devil's advocate so like I'm yes. going to ask you what might be an inappropriate question you can just say you don't want to answer it it's fine as a expat Sudanese raised Muslim person in Norway, mm -hmm. which is pretty much none of those things. Okay. Do you, oh, and LGBTQIA plus, yeah. do you ever feel like some of the support that you get or the, 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 the interest in your work is uh, tokenism? I knew that you were going to ask me over that. Uh, but um, well, because you have lots of things that could I, yeah, be I check a lot of boxes. You do, here, yeah. <laughs> you do. But like, like they could choose to do it, just exhibit you, and they take off like five boxes on their yes, for tokenism. Yes, yes. If you were a woman, it, it would be even another, that like, would have been just like I you'd mean, have the uh, trifecta. Yeah. Well, I this notion uh, crosses my head from time to time, but. Um, uh, I think I have been out for so long and I have maybe um, used up the chances of uh, tokenism. If, if it gets if used it, up? It, it, I think so. No, okay. After five years of... Uh, and I think I, I also see myself as an artist who works hard. And um, uh, yeah, I put all my hard in my work and I am also skilled well like uh, I, I am the opposite of any form of tokenism yeah, I, am, I yeah. am a white male American <laughs> like, <laughs> like under so like I have no sense of like how tokenism is is done used whatever kind of thing like so it's something that like you can use up being a token something I mean uh I, I talked, uh, or when I mentioned uh, having used up these chances, uh, I don't think someone would would be so um, uh, using you as a, as a token for like one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Uh, that would be a lot of a lot of uh, money spent on 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 well, but if they're getting grants that they have to sort of meet certain tick boxes and meet criteria like that's what they got to do yeah but i mean but i guess the, the point i'm sort of trying to get to is like I, because you brought it up is like is there a point where you're no longer a token whatever mm -hmm. and you're just accepted as part of the art world i i mean I we're specifically here. I mean, so like, you know, is there a, is that has there been or is that is it sort of trending in the way that you're feeling like you're basically more accepted here rather than thought of as a token outsider kind of a thing? I ask this because I'm mm, an expat mm, yeah. in the Czech Republic and I feel like I'm always an outsider there. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm asking it like, please, is there a time where we're ever accepted? <laughs> I think um, um, I have been very much accepted uh, in in the um, art scene here, and I can maybe see that sometimes I get um, a chance because um, I'm an easy um, choice that kind of presents. Uh, that institution or this journalist or uh, paper or something uh, as in they can be after that so inclusive because they had like uh, uh, this artist who yeah who just like have everything together but uh, at the same time I I think I have uh, also a quality um, of being, yeah, an artist who does different things and has um, has been able to communicate with um, a wide range of uh, public. 
it's great. I, I'm, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm asking because I'm hopeful about yeah. your answer, not like because I'm like, so do you feel like a token? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm sort of hoping that, like, again, that 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 to a certain extent that stuff wears off and people stop noticing mm. those mm. characteristics mm-hmm. and they just say makes good art. Yeah, instead of the Sudanese Muslim, mm, mm, you know, mm. gay guy yeah. that, that makes art. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, I the, had... Those other terms sort of fall off and it's the good artist. Yeah. What's behind that? We've heard it now for a while. What is behind, uh, what, what is beyond these, uh, check boxes. Well, these boxes uh, yeah. that the art world yeah. likes to put us in. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm. I think I feel that I have passed this marvelous uh, this uh, stage. Okay. Now, so here in Oslo, as I said, social democratic financial support from the government and all this. I'm fascinated by this thing and and how it sort of addresses you as a creative person and whether or not it sort of changes how you approach things. Because in America, mm-hmm. it's all about capitalism. So it's mm. all about like you make art, you sell it, you take the money from the sales, you reinvest it, you make bigger, better work. That's that's what we do. So what's the balance relationship between like the governmental support and sales and or commissions? Because I know you also do like commissioned projects. Yeah, um, I started doing that now. Uh, at the moment, I, I think... Um, Although um, I sell um, or I sold most of my uh, pieces, um, but I'm I'm not like um, I'm not this kind of uh, people who's good in like investing or like uh, um, keeping my economy uh, intact. But I. Um, so I'm totally reliant on uh, the the grants uh, that I get, and um, yeah, I think I'm quite with 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 the grants. I I'm quite able to 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 fix it because it's very um, it takes time for me to to produce uh, artwork, and I I take it, yeah I take a lot of time, money, and uh, the health cost as well is uh, is very high for me because my my back start to um, yeah wear out and um, so after especially like in the recent years they, um, um it takes it takes a good break after each project uh, so I can just regain back my health and my mental stability and so on. yeah i will go with the mental part yeah because like i find that like when i invest time energy and money into a project when i'm done with it i'm sort of like i'm out of ideas and like mm-hmm. i need some time to r- sort of recharge basically mm-hmm. with new mm-hmm. ideas uh or like as i'm finishing the other one i find is like as i'm finishing a project i suddenly find this magnificent new idea mm-hmm. and the moment i'm done with the other project i'm literally over it i'm like i'm yeah. over it because i've got this great new idea yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah so like yeah, i still much, have yeah. to exhibit this thing that i'm already past yeah <laughs> but, but nobody knows that cuz that's still new to them but i'm already on to the next thing I totally it's a horrible relate. cycle I- totally relate yeah (laughs) some people do some people don't but yeah i mean i've like my technique for doing my work is like i'll be working on multiple series of works at the same time Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. i i'm often working at least on two generally three because i find like i do one that's like a technical process so Mm -hmm. it's purely technical and sort of mundane and sort of straightforward and i don't really have to think too much about Mm -hmm. it and then i have a very 
emotional, vulnerable project that I mm. work on and probably may not have as a stringent technique, but it has a lot of emotional components to it. And so, you know, when I'm drained of my emotional aspect, I can work on the technical, the technical one. one. And when I'm bored with the technical one, I can then put my, go back to the emotional one. Yeah. And I just keep doing this back and forth and back and forth. And then, you know, they come out at different times as they get completed. Right. I mean, I, I have a little bit different way of um, like making... Do uh, tell. Uh, I think a lot. I do the emotional part first. Uh, and I I don't work with parallel projects that much, but I, I've been like working in series that lasts for years and uh, which was going to be a question like how yeah. many how long do it does it take you to complete a project oh yeah years years so um, the yeah I would maybe like spend like for my recent project that uh, I'm working on right now um, the the final the final uh, presentation uh, or idea of presentation have taken maybe like three years to develop also the um, the emotional process that I went through from uh, it's about my my relationship to my family's heritage and religion uh, versus what I have been taught in Saudi Arabia uh, and how this kind of um, uh, deformed my understanding uh, to my Sudanese heritage so I started to reconnect with that part of, uh, of my family's uh, traditions and Sudan's uh, history. Uh, so it took many years and then I started like slowly with this project and, um, uh, and also like overcoming the fear of, um, of uh, the divine punishment uh, because uh, I work with amulets and uh, protection prayers and, and uh, things Just, like this. Whoa, slow down. Yeah. You you have, uh, is this like something that was ingrained in you as a child kind of thing? Like a fear of of these? Yeah. Okay. I, like, I have no fear of these things. I grew up uh, in a very extreme um, fundamentalistic uh, community in Mecca. Well, it sound, well yeah. yeah. Just Wahhabism. by being in Mecca, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There is like some differences between people who live in Mecca, but well, but the, by what you said about your father, yeah, but clearly. like I mean, uh, some 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 families and the general uh, would maybe be a little bit conservative, but uh, it differs from um, family to family and how the they do relate to that. So I come from a Sufi family or mystic. Mm -hmm. A family um, in Sudan that is very established and very well known uh, and I grew up in Mecca in this Wahhabi um, uh, community that is extremely judgmental about things that are not from uh, from this teaching they, they, they have and it's it's very much um, uh, yeah, it just makes you scared of everything and everyone and um, scared, but n not just in a suspicious way, but in an aggressive way, uh, because they teach you like you have to take an, an action. You, you, you should not be passive when you see um, thought or immorality or um, you have to do something. Holy crap, all I would be doing is that if that's, I mean, I, I see immoral acts everywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is um, where the line goes is the, the question here. Because, for instance, I come um, from this Sufi family that have certain traditions and rituals that are considered um, heretic in Mecca. And... Um, these traditions are considered like some of the most dangerous uh, acts you can do towards your belief. And seeing my family doing that and very much uh, uh, their life is, is, is about, their, uh, about religion and they have this big mosque where followers come from 
uh, from all over Sudan and so and then learn that they are misguided people they are um, uneducated and I have to educate them I have to stand and say no what you're doing is wrong you to me you're just literally defining religion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like <any> basically, <laughs> basically. <laughs> That's, that is the role that religion has chosen to play exactly. in all societies. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it is, uh, it have like made me very much scared of 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 my um, family's history and like uh, fearing for them and 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 fearing for their. Um, position afterwards in the day of judgment so um, I started fighting um, with my own like possible ways as a teenager that this is forbidden this is you should not do this this is infidelism this is uh, as a teenager you rebelled against your parents that's shocking yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I'm, I rebelled before my teenage okay fair enough but yeah, so I have um, I've had a long process to to just approve and be uh, proud of my family's history, and then I started working with that, and the projects develop from uh, systematically uh, with with uh, each exhibition. So I started like for instance from. Um, with an exhibition of 15 sculptures and then um, 33 sculptures, 365. And uh, one day when I'm a little bit richer or a lot richer and have some assistance, I will make a thousand uh, sculpture uh, for that installation. So, uh, which is an installation that deals with um, uh, the use of um, prayer beads. Um, in Mecca, I've been told like um, it's it's heretic, and you should not use prayer beads. You should count prayers with your hand. And um, wait, I'm sorry, say that again. You should count uh, prayers right. with, with your, your hands. hands. Oh, because so not to use. Oh, that's you not you don't use prayer beads because uh, the prayer beads are. Um, wait, hold on, just to be clear, because people couldn't see your hand gesture. He was basically touching his thumb to his fingers uh, yes. in a way of like counting. Yeah, in you, that you count manner. each phalanx in your uh, hand, um, like you count each prayer with, with the phalanx of, uh, of phalanges of your hands. Um, for the ignorant people, because also I am ignorant, and that, that word went the joints. Basically. Yes, the <laughs> joints or the the bones. The bones. Okay, yeah. great. The small bones that can make a finger. Got it. Uh, so, um, yeah, as a kid um, uh, in the class and the teacher said that uh, this is heretic and you should not use um, prayer beads uh, in counting prayers. You should use your hands because um, your hand will glow in the day of judgment. That is very dark and scary. So um, I took this and back uh, home uh, with my family they use prayer beads that uh, consist of a thousand beads uh, so the contrast in the teaching just made me almost in every aspect of my life just so confused who I should belong to who is right and who is wrong and um, as a kid who wanted to be in the good side was just like yeah so confused and then yeah and then i worked with with that and um such projects take take a long time and i also worked with my own memories and um, the process of yeah going through um the violence of yeah of society of uh, family and so on and, and and processing all that and putting it into um an installation or a sculpture uh, that that takes that takes time. Well, I've just started noticing in both in my own work as well as in you know other peers of mine's works that we're getting you know we're closer to fifty years old and you know my peers, and I noticed that a lot of young artists and I mean this by age, so mm. young artists in their tw early twenties and thirties, 
they're they're and I did it myself. Like you're you're trying to rebel against whatever you were, whatever you were taught, whatever your upbringing was, whatever your schooling was. You rebel against that. You're trying to define yourself as something unique, something special. And then as time goes on, you start reflecting back on your own upbringing, your own mm -hmm. culture and stuff. And so I, literally you can sort of watch an artist's career where it's like they're trying to be unique and individual. And mm. I'm making a little line graph sort of up. Mm. And then sort of there's this transition that happens at some point in everybody's life, it seems like, in their career, where they start turning and reflecting back on themselves, their upbringing, their childhood, their whatever. And, and it becomes more introspective in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very interesting progress that happens in a lot of artists' careers that I hadn't, like, I hadn't noticed when I was in it. Yeah. But now being a little bit older and having a little bit of hindsight, maybe some wisdom, I doubt it, that I that I'm, I'm sort of seeing and hearing people talking about this sort of transition that happens where you you try to define yourself as an individual and then mm. you realize that you're not in, like that what makes you an individual mm. is that community the upbringing the, the education your, your the, the family yeah, yeah. so I I have um, been um, um, very much focused on um, owning my own voice this is also part of the the rebellion against um the familial structure and the societal structure in in in, in sudan because yeah as uh, the youngest at home and um, uh, you're part of a bigger family you i i did not choose anything uh, everything was uh, decided for me before coming to Norway. Almost everything was decided for me. And um, like my clothes, the way I speak, the way I um, talk, what should I talk about? And, and all that was uh, preset. And you just have to be an extension of, uh, of your family or of this uh, society. Uh, so my my art is in uh, majorly is about claiming my voice and having my own um, my own part of the story told by myself, not by someone someone else. And also as a queer person, we are silenced with all violent ways in in in, in my society and. Um, I use my platform right now and um, uh, also my art to fight this uh, silencing and um, yeah say um, I'm here and this is uh, this is my story and it is valid fabulous do you have any sort of advice from your own experiences of being in well all the things that you are, you know, it's like mm. being an expat, coming from different backgrounds, like all these, I mean, you have so many life experiences. So is there any sort of advice that you can give to the next generation to sort of help them in their path? Um, it's, it's, it will probably sound very cliche, like just be authentic and listen to yourself. And, um, uh, I would say also the most cliche thing like you work um, there might be a lot of hurdles in the way and a lot of um, um, things that might seem impossible but um, from my experience if I, I I just know how to work uh, and it have been hard life is not easy it's merciless and uh, people are harsh, like human beings are harsh creatures. Uh, but um, I think if we like invest in, in, in ourselves and love uh, to ourselves and kindness towards ourselves at first, I think that would shield us from, uh, from this harsh and, 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 and also would maybe be fruitful in the future where um, that can 
mean that you would have some means and money coming back from from your um, contribution to to the world. But Lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Before you leave, I'd like to say thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We appreciate it, and we would love it if you would share the podcast with your friends, your family, your co-workers, your studio mates, anybody with an interest in the arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community, not only today, but in the future, is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, the audio was edited by Kush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.